listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Um, as we lean into a Father's Day message, but that's in line with our series, uh, do me a favor, uh, ladies, don't, please don't check out. Because we're in a series on discipleship, and a disciple, uh, according to my slides and the notes and all of that, and the definition I've given you, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. In that process of following Jesus, he invites you to come along and follow him so that he can shape your life, so that he can help you to become the person that God the Father designed you to be. He becomes a role model, an example, and he's inviting you to come along so that that process can be fulfilled. And it, it really, as you look at uh, becoming a disciple and stepping across the line and spiritual life coming into place, there is very much a, uh, a parallel between earthly fatherhood and discipleship. So the truth is, as disciples, since we're called to disciple other people, male, female, young and old, we've got some amazing young people in our church who are disciples and so this message applies to you because as a disciple, what's our, what's our great calling? To go out and make disciples. And so while you might not be an earthly father, you really do, if you're a disciple, you will function in that role where you're inviting some, someone along in the process and your, your hands go into the clay of their lives to help shape them so that God's very best can be brought out of their life. So this message today is very much for everybody that's in the room. Okay, uh, just uh, again, uh, let me point your attention to the scripture here, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses two through four. And it says, all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord our God. It's Old Testament, but it very much is that invitation to submit to God and to follow after him and his ways. And it goes on to say, blessed shall you be in the city or the country, or wherever you live, rural, suburban, uh, urban, whatever. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb. So there's the picture of earthly fatherhood and motherhood. And that is such a, 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 an interesting thing when that becomes a part of your life. When you're no longer just following Jesus for you, but you recognize that whether it's your natural children or your spiritual family, this journey of you being blessed is going to impact those people that, that your life touches. And as you begin to get a vision for that, that my blessing becomes the blessing of others, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. And so I just want to speak to that topic of disciple dads. And dads, yes, I'm speaking to you, grandpas and sons, but I'm speaking to everybody in the room because this is definitely applicable, okay? Hand over your heart. Repeat after me. Dear Lord. Dear Lord. Dear Lord. I invite you to speak to me. I ask you, speak to me. Let me hear your voice through the preaching of the word. Let it change my heart. Let it change my trajectory for the better in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand before you're seated. High five a dad next to you. And uh, again, you know, crazy day with technology. My apologies to the guys who uh, had to pray at the beginning. 
something about going through worship and getting your mojo on and being ready to go ahead and pray, and yet getting called up here cold turkey and just having to go with it while there's some confusion. And thanks again to Shane. We would have gone a little deeper into that interview, uh, but you know we're at the mercy of technology, so we'll have more opportunities. Thanks to to Josh and Trish for putting their side-by-side out in the lobby. It's pretty cool. Thinking about uh, getting my Father's Day picture out there, laying across the hood of the car. (laughs) Maybe after everybody leaves, probably, so no one's terrified. Um, We've got some special things for you out in the lobby afterwards, so we just encourage you to hang out and and be a part of uh, sharing in the, the festivities of the day. Um, remember that as we're talking about disciples, whether we're talking about in the scripture or we're talking about in modern day, we're talking about more than just the first 12 men that Jesus invited to come and follow him. That group of 12 turned into 72 and then turned into crowds and then has turned into the generations and including this room. And so as Jesus invited people to be disciples, you had a multitude of different responses that we still see today. You have people over on this far end of the extreme. These are the what I call the never Jesus people. They've got a thing going on in their life, and while uh, Jesus might be in the scene and they can see him, they don't want to follow him because they've got their own thing that they're doing. Now, they're still in the crowd at times and certainly still welcome in this church, but we do have an agenda. Our agenda is to invite people to follow Jesus And so even never Jesus people are more than welcome to come here. They might have their own thing that they're doing, but we've got that agenda. And I'm just super confident in the agenda because it's more than an agenda, it's him. And when we gather, I just have this great confidence that as we step into this room, Jesus said that where two or three are gathered, I'll be there with them. And I'm gonna tell you what, when you're a never Jesuser, but you get up next to Jesus, there's something compelling about him. There's something so, so inviting about him. There's something so valuable. There's something so, so much deeper than any other thing that you would have in your life. You, you will be, I'm confident you'll, be, you'll look at what you have in your hands that you've held so dearly, and you'll want to set it down and begin to move that way towards following Jesus. Now, a step closer in the crowds back then, and maybe in this room today, are some people who are undecided or they have not yet met, made the decision to follow Jesus. We refer to them as unbelievers, but it's not because maybe they don't believe in Jesus. They just haven't made a decision yet to follow after Jesus. And so if you've ended up in the room today or part of our world because somebody invited you and you haven't made a decision, you're in the right place, and I'm just even more confident. I want to warn you, don't start to sing the words of the songs. Don't start to pray out loud uh, because it's like a tractor beam. You'll get drawn in to experience him. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. We want you to experience him. And we're confident that you will. Don't be worried that you haven't made a decision yet. You don't have to hide out. In fact, be, be, be vocal when asked. Where are you in the process? You should be able to articulate. And we, we don't look down on anybody who's in this category. You're just part of our mission. And we're excited that you're here. The last thing I want to do is talk to disciples all the time, every day of the week, and and just have conversations with them. Because we're called to make disciples. That means we need some people who are not disciples, never going to be a disciple, or haven't made a decision yet, so that we can have an impact and draw you inward. Um, Then beyond the unbelievers are people who are likers of Jesus. They're people who were in the crowd back then. Jesus would do a miracle for people who 
were unbelievers, and then they became likers of Jesus. They liked what he did. They liked what he said. They liked his impact on family members and friends, and so they kind of hung around whatever Jesus was doing, and there were some benefits to that. However, it's not the ultimate end of what Jesus was trying to do in people's lives. He, he, I think we all would like to be liked, but Jesus did not come so that he would be liked by you. He came so that you would follow. Because likers tend to add Jesus to their life, to take their life and make it a little bit better. But Jesus invites you to abandon this life that you're trying to build, to step into the life that was destined for you, and to begin to follow him into that life. Now, it'll look very similar to the life that you're living, and maybe not all circumstances will change, but in following him, you'll discover his word, you'll discover a relationship with him, values, and you'll abandon some of the things that you've been, been holding on to even here that are actually keeping you from all the good things that God has, some habits, some thoughts, some, some lies possibly that you've believed about yourself that are inhibiting you for, from experiencing all that God has for you. So ultimately, our, our, our mission and our desire for you is to step across that line and begin the process of following Jesus. Now, there's something mysterious that happens, and we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, when you step across the line and begin to follow Jesus. It's a catalyst but there's a substance I want to point out that does not necessarily reside here that shows up as you step across this line, and it's that thing called faith. It's a muscle. It's, it's, a, it's a position of life that, 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 that grabs onto something that can't be seen and flexes and begins to trust God for who he is and what he says and what he wants you to do. And you'll find that that, that muscle faith doesn't need to be used here because you're relying on yourself, but adding the good things that Jesus offers as a liker. But over here, you're leaving back behind all of your stuff and trusting God for a better thing. And that requires you to lean forward and lean into this substance called faith. It's believing God over yourself. It's believing that he has something better than what you can produce. It's believing that his words will bring about even a better outcome. You can live over here and be a great person, really love Jesus, or really like Jesus, and yet you're really all about that college plan for your kids, so you don't honor God with your money. You're trusting in your ability financially to build the best future for yourself, and you've done the math, and your calculator says, if you put that money away, it's going to build up. But the person who steps out in faith to follow Jesus doesn't abandon good math, doesn't abandon those same desires for their family, but actually believes it in honoring God's word by giving. It actually causes that faith of giving, saying, God, I really need this for these desires I had, but I'm going to obey your word. And in giving, I'm going to lean into the truth that you're going to turn what I have left into more than it would ever become if I stayed over here. And that's a substance called faith. And that faith is not just restricted to that one little decision. It's like a smell, of, a good smell, a fragrance, a substance. It gets all over you. It gets all over the things you're involved with, the relationships you're in. And you begin to see this thing called faith show up at all different moments to unlock things in your life so that when we look at you as a disciple, there begins to be this evidence of things that only God could do.
Over here for the liker, they have a lot of things that they've accomplished and things that they're enjoying that we admire, but we see a lot of hard work and a lot of effort, which also exists over here. But then we see the supernatural outcomes that only God could have done that that exist in this box. Amen? So it's when you've planned and you brought your lunch, and then there's when you are with a crowd of people who don't have a lunch, and you're thinking to yourself, ha ha, good on me, I planned for this. And then Jesus asks for your lunch, and you step across, but what am I going to eat? But I'm going to trust you. And he watches what you've given away, feed the entire multitude, even though they didn't plan like they should. Anybody here? And he blesses that. And in turn, you end up getting more than you had in your lunch bag. And who knows, maybe you take 12 basketfuls home to your friends and family in the process. So you move beyond just natural math, which does work, into supernatural math, where we all look at it and be like, oh man, only God could do that. And as I'll say this, as a dad, this is, this is respectable. Some of you, this is the dad that you had. This is the dad... Uh, that you know, or maybe this is the grandfather that you know, and I, I, I don't demean this slot right here. I'm just saying Jesus invited to us into something beyond that. Not just the practical, not just the mathematical, not just the one plus one equals two, but the two take away one equals five because God's blessing gets into that thing because I've demonstrated faith. And it gets into not only my life, but the fruit of my, I don't have a womb, but you know what I mean, the fruit of my offspring, and it impacts my friends and families and the things I'm involved with and the people in my world, and that substance gets on all sorts of things. Um, it's so important specifically, let me say this to dads, your role though, your impact as a disciple maker is significant. It really is. It, it, your, your, your God-given role as the leader of your family, and understand when I say leader, that's not you tyrant king. That's you partner but responsible party before God to lead your family into discipleship. The scripture um, invites us especially to do that as dads because of that, that would be our primary role as a leader. But the statistics bear it out that when a dad says yes, to following Jesus, the impact is profoundly different than, it, than one of the other family members saying yes to Jesus first. Uh, crunching the numbers through the years, if a child, and we have, we have some students in our church family, we celebrate you. Um, we, we love that you've come in and you've given your life to Jesus, and we get to be a part of your life, recognizing that maybe mom and dad are not disciples, and we don't, would never do anything to divide you from your family, but we want to come alongside your family and come alongside the Lord and invite you into making Christ first in your life. And I want to tell you that's powerful, and you'll carry that through the generations. There's going to be something on you that you will carry someday into your marriage, into your business, into raising children, into your grandchildren. I can tell you from experience you will look out and see God do profound things that only can happen in the life of a disciple because it's the evidence of following Jesus and that faith unfolds things that only God could have done. Um, as a child, though, or as a young adult, when you come in and give your life to Jesus, the, the percentage of the rest of your family, the opportunity for them to, or the reality of them following Jesus because of your decision is extremely low statistically. 
When a child gives their life to Jesus, only about 3.5% of the family give their life to Jesus as well because of that child's decision. Now, that's a statistic. And I want to challenge you to never buy into the statistics. Statistics tell me what is real, but my faith tells me what is possible with God. Okay? So I don't tell you that number, they're like, oh, the chances of my mom and dad following Jesus are only 3.5% statistically, but as for me and my house, I'm believing God for something beyond statistics. Isn't that what this whole whole section is about? Yes, absolutely. Um, If a mom is the first to get saved in her family, statistics are 17% that the rest of the family, the dad and the kids will follow along, 17% higher but certainly not the number we want to see. But I would say to you, mom, mom, if you are holding back to make a decision to follow Jesus because dad is yet to follow Jesus, come on. Step across that line and believe it or not, husband might be waiting uh, for you to serve God before he does. Make your decision for you. Every person who steps across this line has to first and foremost, make the decision to follow Jesus for themselves. They might recognize that it affects other people, but you've got to make the decision for you. And you, you, you can hold hands and try to hold hands and cross this line, but Jesus invites you to follow. I would not predicate it based upon anybody else or what they do. In fact, the opposite. Scripture shows us that if nobody else will serve God, I will serve God. And that has to be our attitude because some people will grow weary. Some people will grow warm. Some people will become deceived. I've said that all along. I knew that in in marrying Rowena, that one of the things I respected the most is that if I wasn't going to serve God, she was going to serve God anyways. Well, I want to help her to serve God so that we could do it better together. But I am assured of this, that I make a a wrong decision tomorrow. She's going to keep on making the right decisions. That inspires me. Mom, that'll inspire your husband. The Bible says for you to step in, and as you begin to step in and experience the, what only God could do in your life, because God will turn that faucet on, that experience will become inspiring to your husband, and the conduct of your life could be the very thing to win him over across this line. Amen? That's straight out of Scripture, straight out of Corinthians. But Dad, the statistics are... 93% of the family gets saved when a dad steps across that line first. That's just the, that's statistical facts. So dad, you almost don't need a miracle. You almost don't need a miracle. Statistically, when you step across this line, there's something about you and there's something about the role, the mantle that God has placed on your life that when you step across this line, like a boat pushing through the water, there is a wake created behind you that can't help but suck your family across. And so I want to challenge you not to just step across this line, but to bolt across that line and make that wake heavy. Don't just tiptoe in and sneak your way in. You march your way in. You celebrate your way in. And you declare your way in because that is the very thing that will bring your family across in the process. And so with that, let me jump into my three points um, about disciples' dad. And that's the first one. Disciple dads create a spiritual wake for their family to experience, for their children, but for their entire family. Um, I remember when, uh, probably 30 years ago, and 
When I say 30 years ago, it's hard for me to do the math because I feel like I'm 35 years old. So back when I was five, uh, by the way, happy birthday, Trish. You turned 40 this week. It thir- is it 39? We went back a year? Okay, all right. Who wants to be 40? We need to be 39. But that, that being said, all of us who are about 35 in the room, back in the day when somebody had a boat, the big rage back then was to have a pole hanging off the top of it and to tie off a tube. And if I've ever been hurt in my life, it's been my friends who have pulled me around on tubes because that wake behind the boat is significant. And when you get to whip in that boat around and that Rope comes around with the velocity of your weight in the tube, and you hit that wake and get launched. I have literally had my tear, block, tear duct bleed one day. I hit the ground so hard. I've had more concussions, or what I think are concussions, intertubing on water than any other sport that I've been involved with. Uh, it was exciting when we got into skiing. How many of you the first time with dual skis was one of the most challenging feats in your life? And then some of you who are younger, as you got into the uh, wakeboarding, everybody tells you that everybody knows how to do it. And they're do this and do that. And oftentimes the instruction is contradictory. On a, on a wakeboard, you're going half the speed you would on skis and way, way slower than you would on an inner tube. But you finally pop up and you are now riding in the wake behind the boat, enjoying some smooth water once you finally get up. And as you get bold, you cross out of the wake and you jump the wake. And if you get real bold, you do flips either on purpose or by accident. And uh, it's interesting, though, that there's a new rage called wake surfing and boats that are designed where you actually get up on a surfboard behind the boat with no strings attached and you are able to be propelled along on the surfboard behind the boat because of the draft created in the wake. And it's fascinating to, I haven't personally done it yet. That's just a, I'm available if you're, t- if you're inviting. Um, <laughs> what I like about it is we're going slower than ever. And so I'm thinking, ah, catching the front of the board is probably not gonna happen. This looks like you, know, you could be out there and you could have a Coke and stand back and listen to a podcast and be surfing around and just enjoying your time because it, it's, you're just being dragged along understand that as a disciple, when you step across the line, you create a wake behind you for other people. And I want you to be confident of this. It's very real. It's a spiritual thing. The statistics bear it out. But I would say it again to every one of you who are even a young adult, understand that when you step across the line to follow Jesus, you provide a wake that will draw people after you. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Paul declared that let my life be the thing that is an example to draw you to the same Jesus. And I'm just confident based on those numbers, a, a strong reason why my children are in church and our disciples themselves has, be, has become, is a byproduct partially because of the wake created by mom and myself. Yeah. It's provided an opportunity that is supernatural, that the enemy fights in every other scenario. But by being a disciple, there's this built-in thing. And that's why there's a promise that my family, my seed, whatever I touch with my hands, my offspring will be blessed because since I'm blessed and I create the wake behind me, it's almost natural from them to gravitate into that same thing. 
Now, I know we have the prodigal son. I know that there's things that go aside. I know as a disciple, I've made some mistakes to make my, probably my own children or maybe my grandchildren say, I don't know if I want what he has. That's just being honest, right? The disciples made some mistakes in the Bible, right? You will too. But in the, the beauty of this thing is the wake created as we follow Jesus can survive our failures, it just can. God in his goodness and his grace is ultimately, since I'm following him and I'm traveling in his wake, when my wake fails but carries me along, his wake is strong enough to carry what I've been carrying along. Does that make sense? I used to think it, you know, it's I'm holding on, Lord, and finally you get the revelation. It's not how hard you're holding on. He's holding on to you way harder than you are. Amen? Um, the cool thing about this, that spiritual wake is you begin to recognize that your journey is not just about you. And again, I would look at every person in this room and I, I would really say to you, you are creating a wake. Step into this thing with, with tenacity and fervor because that wake it can only be the byproduct of what you're doing. A, a boat with a certain speed and a certain amount of weight inside of that boat that puts pressure on the water creates a wake. You don't have a paper boat that's being carried along barely at all, anybody wakeboarding in it, because it's, it's not creating the force in stepping into this experience that something heavier would. Be the one who creates the wake. Be the one who creates the wake in how you worship. Don't be passive in your worship. Step into your worship because if you're convinced that in following Jesus, doors open, you're convinced that the language that allows for intimacy and interaction becomes incredibly valuable. It's not passive. It's, I, 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 have, I don't sit in the front because I'm the pastor of the church. I don't have to sit in the front because I'm the pastor. There's nobody, I'm not gonna get fired. I don't think if I don't sit in the front of the church, I sit in the front of the church for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to be distracted by somebody else. Anybody? Uh, well, three reasons. Number two, if they call us up forward, I don't have to move too far because I'm already there. And number three, because I know I'm going to worship and I want that to be permission for somebody else. I hate when the worship leader says, come on, raise your hands. Uh, you might not like it, but for some others, it's permission to do the thing on the inside they're dying to do, but don't have the confidence to do. Yeah. And so that, that invitation, not a command, that invitation opens the door. But what's a stronger command, there was a stronger invitation, is when you step into your discipleship and say, you know what, I don't care what I look like. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to sing the songs. My kids are going to hear me sing. Why I sit up in the front was, and had my family sit up in the front forever has been, I want my kids to see me worship God. Why do you, you're supposed to do that in private. Mm, you don't disciple in private, you disciple publicly with those you're discipling. I want my kids to see me worship God. Why? To pave the way, to create the wake. You see Isaac run up here every single week and jump into the altar area? Let that be your heart and your passion. Well, he's just a kid. The Bible does say we should receive the kingdom of God like children. I would recommend, I love that he's up front because he outdoes me. And I want him to be my example. So bring him up to the front so I can see what am I supposed to be doing today? And sometimes a little Spider-Man sling gets shot in there. Most of the time it's worship for God, the little Spider-Man towards our enemies. And that's how he does it. 
Step into, step into worship. Step into prayer strong. Create that wake. Mom, dad, young adult, let your friends hear you when it's time to pray out loud with authority, thanking God, speaking out over someone's life, because that gives the confidence for other people to do the same thing. You create an atmosphere with your, with your posture that other people, they just get sucked into it. Nobody wants to be leaning back in their, how do you follow Jesus this way? It's hard. You might be carried along in the wake, but it doesn't allow you to really grab onto anything. So you lean forward as a disciple. You press in, create that wake that God has given you the opportunity to do. And by your posture, by your, by your involvement, by your attitude, by your demonstration of worship, prayer, giving, generosity, kindness, serving. They don't need to raise, ask for volunteers. You saw there's a need. You jumped in to help out. Josh will need help taking his car out to the trailer, somebody to drive it out the doors, up onto the trailer later. May there be 100 volunteers to help Josh with that activity. Amen? Okay. Notice that as a discipler, my story, and even as my story ends, it is the ramp for the other stories to be embraced, to be participated in, and to take over into the next chapter. At some point, you'll have to realize that you live your life so that others can experience life abundant. And that, especially with your kids or your grandchildren, as you are a disciple, as you participate in discipleship, look, they're gonna, if you're a liker, there's, Jesus is gonna be the one of the many, 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 many things about you that they admire and love. But if you're a disciple and you live out discipleship, they'll be blown away by the stories of what God has done on your behalf because only God could do that because you let them be a part of that journey because they were in your wake coming along. Yeah. I remember when uh, we didn't have the resources, didn't have the finances to be able to own our first house. We got our three kids together. They were young at that time. It was, you know, Steve would have been a toddler. Uh, Valerie would have been a couple years older and Leslie a couple years older than that. And we began praying for a house as a family. We invited our children to see what it looks like to trust God for something. Well, I don't know. Is that really valuable? Yeah. It's really valuable on our first night as we're moving into the house. No furniture has come into the house yet and, we, and no curtains on the house yet. And we go to the back in the bedroom and we kneel down and we go around the circle and one by one, we thank God for the house that God has provided for us. Over here, my hard work provided a house for us all to live in. And that's admirable. That's an awesome thing. Dad, great job. But I want to tell you, if, if, you're the, if you're the watermark, your kids won't hit the spot that God's calling them to. But when you're over here and you confess that I don't have the ability, but we're going to trust God and I want you to see this all unfold it will never been the house that you built. It will always be the house that God gave your family. And you will create the narrative for them to begin to believe God for the things that God has for their future. Yes. Amen? Amen? All right. It's Father's Day, so I'm going to go for another 45 minutes, I think. <laughs> Just looked at the clock. It's later, but I still have a little bit of time. How is that possible? Hmm. Uh, did I get to point two? I don't know. I just think that's good enough. I might not have to go too much farther. 
I'm not even going to say it. It's two weeks in a row. We're on the same page, John. You, you were saying what I was saying. I know you were. Um, I know that's what you were saying. Um, let me just give you the second one, and worship team, why don't you guys come? Because um, point three will kind of fill into this, and I'll, I'll try to make this quick, and maybe I can spend a little more time on this, this topic uh, a little bit later, because there's something powerful about when you step into discipleship, there's an added layer of protection that's added into your life that you rely on, that you trust. When you're out over here, especially when you're over here, actually you're, you're ingesting some of the most dangerous things that are in the world that will destroy your life. At least over here, as you make your way to liking Jesus, there's some things about Jesus that give you an awareness not to do this, but I should do that. Um, but over here, when you step across the line, there is a, a, a spiritual departure from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of heaven. Anytime we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about dying and going to heaven. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to reestablish on earth when he came that he teaches that while we live in this world, I want to invite you to follow me here on earth. And when you do, there's a new king in your world, even though you probably didn't realize over here you have a king. But he's not the king. He's the God of this world. He's the one wreaking havoc. He's the one who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, who stole the, king, the kingdom keys from Adam and Eve and that's why so many of the bad things that happen in this world happen because behind the scenes, while God owns the earth, management or leadership of the earth was given to man and man handed that management over to the wicked one. It's a legal transaction. And Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom of heaven here on earth that will, at one point when all the enemies have been placed underneath his feet, the devil will be eradicated, but that hasn't happened yet. But the, the thing is, it's kind of like going from one country to another. If you ever internationally traveled, you realize that when you step across this really weird line, it doesn't seem like much, but everything changes. The rules here are way different. You can have two countries side by side and one with a good righteous king who works on behalf of the people and see the blessing and prosperity there and just cross that line where you have a tyrannical leader bent on evil, filling his pockets and putting his subjects in their place to extract everything he can out of them. It is tangible, the difference between those two nations across that border. And when you step out of the kingdom of this world and begin to step into the kingdom of God as a disciple, there is something supernatural about the protections that not only are now placed on your life, but because you lead a family, that now your family enjoys. Supernatural protections. Things to fight off. Uh, the things that you and I, we hear on the news and we see on the news and you're worried about as a parent, how am I gonna protect my kids from those things? Well, there are some practical things that you can do. But I'd recommend you also lean into the supernatural protections that exist in your world. And I won't have time to get into those today, but, but that are there. Because I want to warn you, over here, 
do your best, but you don't have to your availability those supernatural protections. When you look at Job's life, he was a man who had stepped across the line, partnered with God, and you know what the devil said about him? Yeah, sure he loves you. It's because there's this hedge of protection around him, and I can't get to him the way I want to. When you step across this line, there are protections that are tangible and real, and as you invite your family, even if your family's not serving God and you have small children, they get to enjoy those protections and those blessings according to that scripture. There are blessings and protections because of this relationship, amen? So we'll talk about that more maybe next week, okay? Why don't you stand with me? All right. My prayer, my request, my invitation for you, come on, move this way. And if you've been stuck here for a while, I want to invite you today to say yes to following Jesus. As we pray, I just, all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Come see one of our leaders. We've got a book that we'll give you called Following Jesus. We'll begin to kind of shift gears in our relationship with you. We'll partner you with somebody. We'll help you in those initial steps. But it's, don't get stuck here, okay? Step across the line and follow Jesus and watch that wake be created. Watch the favor of God fall on your life and watch others be drawn as the demonstration of God's goodness in your life becomes visible to them and watch God use you to see other people come across that line. Father, I thank you today. We say yes to following you. Father, maybe for the first time today or for, for someone like me, it's 30 plus years of saying yes again today. Your mercies are new today. I say yes to following you. The greatest thing I've ever done in my life It's not been a thing I've accomplished, but it's been in following you, to know you, to experience you, to sense you close, to experience your help, to hear your warnings that are for my benefit, to hear your words of encouragement, to be helped by you, to be protected by you, to see my family experience much of the same because of what you've done in my life. Lord, I thank you for those things. Give our young people a vision to see the future and what that decision to follow after you will mean for their lives. Give our children that same vision. Let it be a supernatural revelation. We're excited that we get to follow after you. Thank you for that, that opportunity. And Lord, help our lives create the wake so that people will see our good works, glorify our Father, and step across that line. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Amen and amen. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 